Hey there, welcome to the Caitlin James Podcast. This is a place where we like to empower business owners to build both profitable and purposeful businesses, while also allowing you to be inspired on different ways that you can build into the legacy of your everyday life. What we're diving into today, I'm very excited about this. We're diving into what it has been like, the experience, what we have learned from owning and operating a school the first two months. Um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's a whole other episode that talks about, uh, Michael and I did it together, and it talks about why we started this micro school for our children and others in the community. That was done months ago. We had no experience. We had some people signed up. We had families we were communicating with. But we just, the the rubber had not hit the road. Like we had not launched the first day of school. We hadn't been in the trenches at all, but we've been in it a little bit. And I realize if you are another acting owner or uh, if you have, uh, or or a a teacher, public school teacher, um, a homeschool mom, a a micro school owner that's just not an acting academy, if any of these things, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, Caitlin, you know nothing you're only two months in, we are well aware of that. (laughs) We realize we know nothing, but we've learned so much in the first two months. And my goal, what I want to share about our journey opening an acting academy is to make it more known what, what it looks like. Because what we're learning is not the stereotypical things that you would learn if you became a first time teacher in a public school setting or a private school traditional setting. Very different concepts. uh, And some are alike, some are similar, but there's a lot that's different in the way that we're learning how to take the Acton model and apply it to our studio with our kids and the kids within our community. So we have just a quick little recap. We have 12 students, 12 learners. Sometimes we reference them as learners or we reference, um, or we, we go the route of calling them heroes, if you hear learners or heroes, it's talking about our studio of five to seven, almost some eight-year-olds. Um, and that's what we call them. We try not to call them kids. I mean, that naturally happens sometimes. But in the acting world, uh, the goal is to empower these children to not be viewed as they're just kids, right? Because at what point do we transition from they're just kids to No, you are a capable, responsible, kind, self-disciplined, confident adult. When do you start making that shift? Because if they're just like kids for forever, then it's a hard swap to just automatically assume, and now you're responsible, and now you're self-directed, and now you're going to start making decisions for yourself and getting answers for yourself. The whole purpose of Acton is to give power back to the children, not to have a Lord of the Flies situation, even though sometimes it may feel like that, not because we don't believe in discipline, not because we don't think that children have to have any leadership. That's not the truth at all. It's approaching growth and leadership and development through a completely different model than the traditional model where it's an adult that knows all, that teaches and instructs and lectures and the kids memorize, and they they ingest information, and they can test out, and they can get good grades, and they can move up in the system, and they will go to the next grade, then they will go to college, and then they will maybe get a job that they love, maybe they don't, maybe they hate it, who knows, but it's just a system. And Acting Academy can work with that system. These students, these learners, these heroes can go to college. They do go to college. They're acting students all over the world are going to college every single year. But they're going to college with a very different background. They're going to college with 12 years of every day being self-directed, not going to a teacher and saying, what do I do today? But going to a guide and asking a question and not getting an answer. They're met with more questions. They're met with, you can figure this out. You can do this. You can discover this. You can dive into this. I'm not going to give you the answer, but I'm going to empower you with more questions for you so you can find the answer yourself. They've spent 12 years learning about themselves through this model instead of regurgitating information, memorizing and testing for the sake of getting good test results to ultimately get into college. I want my daughter and my boys to go through the experience of Acton and find what they are uniquely gifted in. My children are so different. I can tell that already. And they're five, three, and one. 
I can see already they are completely different individuals. And I want Evie to discover her gifts. It's fascinating. In just two months, I've learned so much about her as a a leader. She's a, a leader in the studio. I've also learned a lot about her socially, who she first thought she wanted to be best friends with in the studio, and now who she's gravitating towards. It's fast. It's just fascinating to watch this. And so just as she is changing so much in two months, I want her to spend the next 12 years developing her understanding of this is what I struggle with, but I could get better at it. This is what I'm just naturally gifted in. This is what I'm interested in. And I'm going to follow these paths so that when I am 18 years old, a lot of acting students go to college when they're 16 because they they just finished so early. But I know what I love and I know what fires me up and I know what I'm passionate about because ultimately we see a generation of young people that are not held to a high standard. It's a it's an epidemic of mediocrity in a generation of younger kids where they're self-absorbed, they're on their phones, they take selfies all day and they don't really think about who am I? Who who was I created to be? Like, what am I uniquely gifted in? Why was I created? And what is my purpose? And how can I serve the world with my unique gifting? That is something that is not emphasized at a high level in every traditional education model. It's more so you focus on allowing them to learn things for the sake of testing and for the sake of personal growth. But there's so much emphasis on the testing that you can't spend hours and hours each day focusing on personal growth because there's so much to be accomplished to meet the standard. So that was a very long-winded response to defining what Acton is, why we love this school model, why we started one of our own. But if you want more information about what it looks like, what Acton looks like, you go to our website. It's actonacademywestend.com. There are books, resources, podcasts, Forbes articles. There are all t- there's all types of resources where you can dive into understanding the school model, but it is growing rapidly. Um, there are currently 8,000 people around the world trying to start their own, whereas a couple years ago, that number was like a third. I, I mean, people are just diving into this. And I truly think we're going to see this as more of a common option in cities all around the world. Um as we move forward and as more and more people discover that education can look so many different ways. So let's go back to our story and our campus and our our journey with our Acton. What has changed in the last two months? Well, I'll start with just sharing a few personal changes, which if you are um, an entrepreneur or a photographer and you follow me, I get the question so often like, how are you doing this? Because Michael is working at the school full time. He's the head of school. He's my husband. For those of you that don't have any idea who I'm talking about. Michael's my husband, and um, he is the head of school, and he is loving it. It's a perfect role for him. It is a perfect use of his gifts. He naturally connects with kids in a way that a lot of people don't. A lot of people, um, I think, think they connect with kids. Um, I think I connect with kids, but I don't. I don't have whatever he has, and. It's just awesome to see him be able to fill this very needed, very um, special role that only, honestly, I think only he could fill. So Michael started his job at Acton, head of school. So he's basically in a guide role, but he also is in a role of connecting with parents and, um, you know, kind of leading the head of the community, whereas Miss Rachel is the lead guide, and she is just focused on the learners. She's focused on the studio and the culture. Um, and then we have Miss Whitney, who is an um, apprentice guide, who is there part-time that we love. The kids love her. Such a gift. That team dynamic, that's something I didn't have on my outline, but like the team dynamic is just phenomenal. We are so grateful. It got or it was a God ordained situation. Like we I could tell you so many crazy stories about the interviews we had knowing that it was Miss Rachel, knowing that it was a good fit, but crazy life situations almost taking the possibility of working with her away. We fought for her, we got her back. I mean, it's a it's a great hero's journey, which that's a whole other acting thing we'll get to. But so the team dynamics awesome, but personally we were affected because Michael is no longer at home, 8, 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. For a decade, he has been an entrepreneur right by my side. We did life together, so much freedom. And I think we were so in the weeds of getting everything prepped for the school 
that I don't think we really took time to think through. So what is this going to feel like? Every weekday, Michael's just gone. Um, I think our boys miss him. I know they miss him. Uh, I think Evie loves having him. I don't know if she'll feel the same way when she's 14, but she loves having him in the studio. Um, I miss seeing Evie. I've gotten jealous that Michael gets to spend his whole life with Evie, and I get to see her in the morning and the evening, but kind of that's it. We've had to find new rhythms and new balance, but it's been beautiful. And I, if there's going to be a reason for Michael to not be a part of our home life during the day, this is the reason. Like, this is it. He is perfect fit for this role, and I love seeing him do something that fires him up and challenges him in a way that I mean, he's great at what he does for KJP. He always has been, but it's never been his goal to grow as a photographer. He did that because I needed help. And this is allowing him to discover a part of him that he was, it's it's like the reason we started acting, Michael's getting to live into that in his own life leading Acton, taking his gifts and his abilities and his passions and what he's drawn to and pulling it together into an amazing job opportunity where he's contributing and putting himself out into the world. It's wonderful. Um, so something else that's been crazy as a first time Acton owner and a parent is just the role of being a parent of a kindergartner and being the owner of the school that she goes to. I don't think Evie understands that. I, I kind of hope she doesn't for a while, but it's I don't think we fully wrapped our minds around the fact that our daughter is in kindergarten and the crazy changes that come with that and how fast she's learning and growing and developing. We've been a little bit blindsided by the fact that um, that we're responsible for this school for all these other families whose children are first time experiencing school in, in a kindergarten type setting. So it's just been a weird dynamic. But another crazy thing that we have learned that I never expected, we are still in the process of getting approval for our property with the county. Can you believe it? I mean, we are almost hitting the year mark and we didn't even build a new building. There's no new structure. We didn't even do anything except update plumbing and paint the two buildings they're actually using. Um, Just unbelievable. I won't go into that because I probably shouldn't say publicly what I feel internally and personally about that whole process, but I'm sure there will be more content about that in the future. So, Let's dive into what we have learned from a learner guide studio perspective. So what have we seen happening in the studio with these learners together? What has surprised us? What has shocked us? And what has amazed us? I want to dive into that now. The Acting Academy model talks about the hero's journey for these children All of the learners are on their own hero's journey, and this is emphasized constantly. They literally have little cutouts of hero super figures with their faces on them when you walk in the door right above their cubbies. But the the reason this is the emphasis of Acton as a whole, it's because we want them to understand that it is a journey to discovering who you were designed to be and growing personally. Now, we're... I am growing personally at 34 years old. They're growing personally and developing as five, six, seven-year-olds. We want them to understand the concept that they are going to be growing their entire lives, but their their journey at Acton is to spend their days and their hours at school trying new things, failing at some of these at these things, discovering what they enjoy, discovering what they don't enjoy, discovering what they're good at, what they're not good at. This is all a part of a hero's journey. And anyone who has a great impact on the world and finds fulfillment in who they were created to be has to go through the hero's journey. They have to go through the process of discovering and failing and thriving and failing some more. And if you can learn how to do that and see the opportunity and the growth potential in that, you're unstoppable. So that is the beauty of the foundational concept of Acton. And then we take elements of what you don't get to do in a traditional setting. You're on your own journey, right? You're not following a set of curriculum that everyone in the class has to follow and everyone has to meet certain standards. You're on your own journey because your roadmap for your life and what you're good at and what you're drawn to is never going to look like the person next to you. It it can't, and it shouldn't. If it does look exactly like the person next to you, then individuality is not a priority in that educational setting. So what we're doing is we are creating this environment where they can thrive. But these are five to seven-year-olds 
And it is challenging. And we knew this. We knew it's going to take a full year to establish the culture of a studio of self-directed learning. So these are the things that we've learned. Children are capable of so much more than we could ever imagine. The adult default response to discipline, to, oh, they're not doing the work like they should, or is to micromanage and demand and put up crazy level of boundaries so that we make the children make the right decision that we think is the right decision. Um, it's the same thing with parenting. It's the same thing at home. As it, It's a challenge to look at a child and trust that they are capable of learning how to make the right decisions and that we can approach empowering them to be more self-directed in a positive way by allowing ourselves to trust them. Oh, it's so hard. I was in the studio filling in for someone for like an hour and I knew what they were supposed to be working on. And I saw some of them goofing, goofing off and like, I wanted to like dive in, get serious and like sit down, sit on the table and work on your project. <laughs> that is not the acting way. The acting way is that they make goals and they have accountability and they are held to a standard of, account- of accountability from their peers and they learn how to make decisions. And the more that they show that they can make decisions and be self-directed in a positive way, they get more freedom. So it's, oh, it's just a fascinating model. So let me give you some examples of this. So children are capable of more than we think. We've seen this in uh, introducing the idea of a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Now, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, Caitlin, you can't teach five-year-olds what a growth mindset and a fixed mindset is, you would be sh- you would be shocked. These students, these learners, they they understand it, and they grasp the concept to the point where I will say something like, "Ah, I'm just not good at that." And Evie, in everyday life, and Evie, our daughter, will say, "Mama, that is a fixed mindset. You could be good at it." That I mean, I'm telling you, it's a, it's impressive. It is impressive. So the concept of a growth mindset and a fixed mindset is that a growth mindset sees failure as an opportunity for growth and perseverance. A fixed mindset is where you just accept, and in some ways, this is going to be very controversial, in some ways, the Enneagram is empowering a fixed mindset. I'm going to make people mad. Think about the Enneagram. It's basically, it's describing to people why they are the way that they are, um, which is great. It's actually, it's fascinating to see how people, it's not a bad thing in my opinion. Some people think it is. It's not a bad thing, but it is when you view it as an excuse to not develop personally. So, well, I'm just a seven. So, you know, that's just the way I am. You know, I'll I'll never be great at planning because I just want to have fun. It's just the way I am. That is is a fixed mindset. It's saying, oh, I was defined as this. I'll always be this. I'll never be anything different. I'm not capable of being anything different because I'm a this. I'm a seven. I'm a three. I'm a three. I'll never be able to relax and just enjoy vacation. I can't learn that. That's just not the way I'm wired. Saying, oh, that's just not the way I'm wired is actually scientifically accurate. But there's also scientific proof. Um, I have not read the book. But my best friend, Jill, just read the book about neuroplasticity, the idea that the brain it can be rewired and it can be developed and we can grow in certain areas that we say we believe that we can't. So um, let me give you an example of this. Michael, um, I have a reel on our Instagram account for Acton, um, has done this multiple times with the learners in the studio. But he will hold his hand out like this, and he'll have long, stringy, stretchy rubber bands and then some really short, fat, thick rubber bands. And the long, stringy rubber bands represent things that the children are just naturally, uniquely gifted in, right? Some of these kids can – their hand-eye coordination is amazing. They can just hit a a baseball that's tossed to them, whereas, you know, that was never my – I still can't do that. So that's not my gift. My gift and my stretchy, long rubber band falls – in social categories, I'm I'm don't have a problem socially getting along with people. Um, creatively, my I have a lot of long, stretchy, creative rubber bands. But when it comes to athletics, I have a short, thick rubber band that I just choose sometimes not to stretch because it's not my favorite thing. But I could stretch it. I could get better at it if I desired to. And so we're empowering these learners to think through who they are 
what they're good at, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are through the concept of it's just a rubber band you have to stretch. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a guide say, it's all right. That's just a rubber band you have to stretch. And every single, and we have, we have students, learners in this group of 12 that are incredibly different. Some of them struggle socially. Some of them struggle to build things. They can't focus enough to have an engineering mind to sit down and follow a system and build a project. Some of them struggle with impulsively needing to get up and run while others struggle to like get themselves up and be more engaged. Everyone has different struggles. And so when we do the uh, demonstration of the stretchy rubber band and the short, tight rubber band, we ask them to share what they're good at. What's their long, stretchy one? And then to share what they're bad at. What are you not great at naturally? And then when they are not great at something naturally, having them turn around and look at everyone else in the room with their hand raised that can help them grow in that area. For those that think like a five-year-old that that's still learning how to recognize their letters cannot comprehend the concept of a growth mindset and a fixed mindset, we've proven that wrong in the first two months. We have seen these students speak up and be able to describe and define the difference. We've seen them fail at something and be able to look at a guide and say, I'm going to try again because I have a growth mindset. We've seen that happen over and over and over again. And that's a foundational concept that we have to learn and establish early on in order for a self-directed culture of education to thrive. Okay, so another way that we have seen that children are more capable than we ever imagined was watching them hold each other accountable. This is happening in multiple ways. So one way would be um, studio maintenance. So the learners, we have two studio spaces connected with a breezeway. We have Studio A and Studio B. Studio B is where they do core skills, where they have their um, circle time, their Socratic discussions every morning, where they have to pick a stance on a would you rather type question and defend um, their stance, then listen to everyone's discussion and then, then decide, did I change my mind? Did someone convince me to change my mind and why? Fascinating. Um, so then... Because we have these two spaces, we have decided, and most Actons do the same, that they need to be responsible for cleaning and keeping order in their studio. So there's no such thing as spark play ends and there's just toys and games and building materials everywhere. They're responsible for cleaning it up. Now, what's interesting is like, well, cleanup time, Caitlin, that's nothing extraordinary. You're right. It's definitely not. But what I love seeing is that they are learning how to have managers in different departments. So we call them champions. There's a champion for each different department that different learners come and check in with the champion and the champion goes to approve their work. And so Evie, um, the first session, she was a champion of, I think, Studio A. I could be wrong about that. Um, and she loved the responsibility of overseeing the work of a group of learners. Um, and there were some other champions for different parts. Maybe bathrooms have champions and then Studio A has a champion, Studio B as a champion, but those managers, those champions over certain areas are responsible for the work of the people that are under them. And so it's a very interesting concept to see a five to seven-year-old um, really take in and start to absorb like, okay, look, this is my responsibility over these people. And it's not a dominating thing. It's a, we're working together as a team and you are the team leader, right? If the bathrooms look like a disaster after your team cleaned them and you don't hold them accountable, you're going you're going to be held accountable for that. It's just I mean, it's just fascinating. Right now, Evie's job in Studio um, A, I think, it, she's in charge of the potties. <laughs> Poor thing. She's cleaning toilets every day. But it's a life skill, right? We will get videos. We have a parent app um, where we get video updates and photo updates during the day from the guides. And, um, and we can comment and see what they're up to and get updates from the guides at the end of the day of everything they went through. It's, it's wonderful um, because, side note, when we are going to bed at night, sometimes I'll pull my phone out and I'll go through pictures and Evie will describe to me, oh, this is when we were working on our project. This is when we were working on our rocket ships. Oh, this is when some people got into a fight and then we decided, you know, how, how could we talk about it and make it better? Wonderful discussion comes from that. So we see these children doing all these normal like household tasks. And the best, I love this, the first session went by and one of our students, the mom posted in the app, like... We didn't have school today, but this child still wanted to do his studio maintenance task and like Windex the windows in the bathrooms at home. I'm like, hey, that is a win, right? A five-year-old that wants to, to clean the windows. So anyway, 
peer accountability happens in studio maintenance when they are maintaining their space with different jobs um, and then having champions over top of them to make sure everyone's doing a good job and practice being a leader of a group. Spark play badges. So every afternoon, uh, there are some elements of Montessori and hands-on learning that happen every day at Acton, very hands-on learning. So there's a time in the afternoon where they are challenged to go and build and dive into different projects. And so maybe it's a building set where it comes with cards and they have to follow the cards instructions to build certain things. And then now in session two, they have started having charts where they can check off if they've completed different levels of each project. And so when a level is complete and they've done something or built something, um, they will go to another peer and it's peer reviewed. So the peer will come over and look at what they were supposed to build and check their work. And if the peer approves, then they get to mark it off as a completed task on uh, a spreadsheet. And once you get to a certain level of tasks that have been completed in these projects during spark time, you get a badge and badges are a sign of hard work and dedication and success and, and accomplishing something. And so Anyway, the peer, it's not going to a guide and saying, can I get my check mark? It's going to one another and holding one another accountable. And it's accountability that goes both ways. So if a peer says, yeah, it's fine, you did it, but they didn't really check and look, well, that can look negatively upon the person who is checking the work because they're not doing a good job and someone else will hold them accountable. That's what's fascinating is watching learners, five to seven-year-olds, hold each other accountable when they see that's not a good job. That's not that's breaking a studio rule. We have a studio contract together, and you just broke the rules. Uh, so it's just fascinating. Okay, there's another example of this. So the learners in the studio have been introduced in session two to core skill time. Core skill time can happen through the Washika drawers, which is a Montessori um, reading and language arts program that's hands-on. It can also be done through iPad learning on things like IXL, Khan Academy. There's different resources on there that very intrinsically track a learner's progress and where they have hangups, where they're struggling, um, and helps them learn and develop but what's fascinating is that you could get on there and play some educational games, but not dive into all of the lessons that are really teaching the curriculum um, in a strategic way. You could default to things that are a little more fun or you don't have to think as much. So what keeps a child at an acting academy from just playing games all day? right? And they're not actually, they're educational games, but like they're not, they're not furthering themselves on their path. How do you make sure they're going to further themselves on their path? Well, at the beginning of the week, they make a commitment to complete a certain amount of levels or a certain amount of projects within their core skill time. And by the end of the week, they are held accountable by their running partners. So every one of our learners in the studio has a running partner that they have to meet with at the end of the week and discuss how they did with their goal. It's not a teacher saying, did you turn in your assignment? It's a peer saying, hey, you committed to this. Did you did you complete your commitment? Do you, did you follow through with your commitment that you made to the studio and to yourself on Monday? So they check in with their running partners and they are held accountable to their running partners. And that is a fascinating concept because you think about what this looks like in a team dynamic in a workspace as they are grown adults. If they're getting, you know, jobs where they have to do different tasks and work on a team that they're working on project management or they're part of a startup and everyone has different roles, peer accountability is a thing. Self-directed accountability is a thing if you want to be an entrepreneur. So we're establishing these concepts early on in their journey at Acton so that as they get older, the running partner idea is not a foreign concept. They are just learning early on. I'm accountable to what I said I committed to, not just to myself, but to my entire studio. When I think about running partners, and I think about why I think that's a beautiful concept to integrate into early onset educational environments, I think about my journey in a traditional model. No one, no one in my classes Maybe if I did a team project, but even then on team projects, we normally just had people like, oh, gosh, they didn't pull their weight. And there was no consequence for that. And there was no accountability for that. And I just remember thinking, 
in general, the majority of my school experience, no one was invested in whether or not I was showing up in my commitments to myself. There was no integration of accountability or camaraderie or peer-to-peer accountability at all. It was like I was kind of on my own little island. Like if I'm going to make it to graduation, I mean, it's on me. And that is the truth. It is on me to show up. But no one else was encouraged to support me or encourage me or to lift me up when I felt like I can't do this. There was no element of that. And at an Acton, we recognize that we are responsible for helping one another on our journeys. Um, We have one student that's one of the older students in the studio um, that's an amazing reader, right? He's great at reading. And it is so interesting because the, the ability for this child to read is spurring on the desire for other children to learn to read, not because they're being demanded to follow do your homework, do your lesson, look at the board, listen, I'm going to teach you how to read. It's, no, I like watching Jack read at deer time. Deer time is um, drop everything and read. So it's just, and these half these kids can't read yet. So what are they doing? They are flipping through books and they're looking for sight words and they are practicing and they're learning. I kind of want to know what's happening in this book. Jack could read to us. This student could read to us. So I desire whatever he has. Now, for some, they're more motivated than others, and that's okay. But it's fascinating to have a multi-age studio and to see how one child's development is spurring on the interest of another child's development. And that is something that we have noticed personally in the last two months. Uh, Our daughter, over the summer, I remember sitting in her room. I had all those level one reading books, and I'm like, hey, Ev, let's, let's try to read this together. Let's look for some sight words that you know. She was not interested at all. Maybe it's because it was mom's idea. Not interested at all. A month into going to school in a studio with some older kids that understand how to read, she is 100% interested and self-directed. She has been in her room trying to find words that she recognizes on her own. And that's something I couldn't force her to do. And I think about what our life would be like in a homeschool environment where I was the teacher, I was the person sitting at a table with her trying to get her engaged, for my daughter and her personality, that wouldn't work for us. It wouldn't work for us because she is more motivated by the social environment that she's in. And I love that aspect of acting, especially for our social child. Now, we have children that have all different personalities, and there's aspects about acting being a smaller school, not being 300 kids in a grade, that it's going to cater well to our, our children that maybe aren't super outgoing. Um, but for our daughter, in the first two months, that has been a really beautiful discovery that Michael and I have been able to stand back and watch and be like, she is learning how to read. All right, so moving on. Something else that we have discovered the first two months of owning an Acton and, and watching it operate is that we have had, and this was not, you can ask some of our parents, this was not an overnight, like in the moment discovery. It took a lot of conversation, a lot of late night Zoom calls. It took reaching out to some other Acton owners that have been so gracious to help us and to come alongside of us and to figure out how do you do discipline in a self-directed learning environment, right? How do, how do we approach this differently? And we, so let me give you an example. Something that our studio struggled with, it was really one week, it got really bad. They, they struggled with it all first session, but a week or two into session two, it was a little out of control. It was running. The kids just bolting across the room, accidentally knocking into people. We don't have large studio spaces, And one of our studio spaces has a historic floor where the boards are kind of warped and sticking up. It's so easy to trip and fall. Um, And we have stairs in there, like two stairs up. And so there had to be some understanding that in a studio, you just can't run and have a free-for-all. But they kept running. They weren't listening. And so we kind of approached the discipline of this from a very traditional perspective. You run, you get a strike. You get a certain amount of strikes, you have to stay home. Well, we had a week where a lot of kids got a lot of strikes. It felt awful. It wasn't, they, they aren't all strikes for running. Some of them were some other behavioral things. We just had a very off week. And once we hit, to a, hit a place where, you know, uh, several learners had to miss a day of school because they got so many strikes, we realized, do we really think that this is going to help them develop or is this just punishment to scare them 
into not doing something. We realize through a lot of different conversations that we want them to be active, right? We want them, they're children, they're five to seven-year-olds, they naturally have a need to get energy out. But what we want to do, instead of just slapping their wrist, we want to empower them to notice their impulses, to be able to read their body, and to be able to make decisions to take care of the need to get some energy out and to recognize that about themselves instead of saying to them, you just ran, you got to strike. That doesn't help them develop. That doesn't help them become um, a more self-controlled child. That is basically just saying, I'm going to scare you into not doing the thing you were told not to do. Instead of, I want to help you understand why you keep failing with with this part of the discipline of the studio. You are supposed to follow studio rules, and one of the studio rules is we don't run in here. So this was fascinating. I I think this discovery in our acting journey was so helpful for me just as a parent to think through. I've always tried to do the whole uh, model of parenting so they understand and can grow from discipline. But in a studio setting like Acton, and you're trying to have 12 kids all needing to learn the same thing, it it is hard to figure out the, the right way to do this. So what we decided is that we changed our perspective and we discovered there's other ways to empower the learners to make changes and to, to control themselves other than just scaring them into getting a strike. We created something called, and this was inspired by um, Acton Academy in Nashville, the Breezeway Blitz Band. The Breezeway Blitz Band is basically a band that you can check out and you can go outside of the breezeway and run back and forth in the breezeway as much as you need to to really get your energy out. And the goal of checking out the Breezeway Blitz Band is to be able to have a resource for a learner to be able to realize, I am having trouble focusing And instead of slapping their hand, we don't literally slap their hand. It's a figure of speech. But instead of like fussing at them for like, no, sit, we're empowering them to make a decision, notice something about their bodies and make a decision to go take care of something that they need to get out of their their system in order to show up the way they need to show up in the studio. Fascinating. We introduced this concept after a really hard week with some discipline issues. I mean, it was amazing the turnaround. Amazing. Uh, the first day, of course, the blitz band got checked out by literally everyone because that's what happens with five to seven year olds. But now it's a resource to help the learners take control of their own impulses and to be able to recognize I can do something about this. I'm not broken. I'm not messed up. I'm there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not a bad listener just because I've got to get the wiggles out but I got to recognize what I need. And the guides have a resource now to empower them to take care of what they need to get out of their system instead of just, hey, you got to strike. That was the third time I told you not to run. Very different concept on discipline. Not focusing on the punishment, instead focusing on how can we empower them to be more self-disciplined and be more self-aware. That's going to serve them so much more in everyday life than just slapping their wrists and saying that was wrong. All right, so another example of allowing them to develop skills instead of just punishing uh, is the dependence on adults. It is fascinating to hear the guides talk about how so many learners just default to the laziness of going to um, a guide and saying, what am I supposed to do? Instead of thinking for themselves and taking responsibility, thinking about what they committed to, thinking about where they are with their goals, or in general, even socially, like um, if they're having a problem with someone, coming and whining to a guide. I mean, this happens in our home every single day. Graham did this to me. Great. Did you go to Graham and have you talked to him about it? Does Graham know that this upset you? So I was talking with the guides about this podcast, and Michael was mentioning, you know, It's fascinating to see what happens when a guide, so I didn't mention this earlier, but guides at Acton are not allowed to answer questions. It's a very Socratic environment. So the children learn by not being given the answers. Stick with me. The children learn by not regurgitating facts, but instead learning through allowing themselves to experience self-discovery. There's no self-discovery when you go to an adult and say, hey, can you answer this question? And then they answer it and it's like, okay, thanks. 
these these learners are empowered every time they go to a guide and ask a question, the guide asks a question back that will help them figure out how they can discover their own answer and get their own result instead of just getting it fast from an adult. Michael was saying, when a child comes with a question, when they don't get their question answered, they default and they default to asking one another. They're asking their peers. They're asking other kids in the studio, other learners in the studio, and it they become resources to one another. They start to realize I can figure this out. I don't de- I don't have to default to the grown-up, the tallest person in the room to give me all my answers. Um this is not just academic, it is also with with anything. Like is it time to eat lunch? Well, what time do we normally eat lunch? I don't know. Do you want to ask somebody? Okay. What time do we normally eat lunch? Someone says 11:30. Well, what time is it? I don't know. Can you find a clock? They find a clock. And then can you tell what time it is? It's a digital one in one of the studios. I, they actually have both. But can you read the numbers? And the, do you see what how different that is than just a guide saying, we're almost to, yes, we're almost to snack time. We're almost to lunch. That's a learning opportunity that was created because an adult didn't just flat out answer a question. So when you spend all day, every day in school, never getting your questions answered, you learn how to be self-reliant and self-dependent. That is a fascinating concept because when it comes to learning new things and understanding what vowels are and diving into concepts, one one thing that all the learners struggle with understanding are um, coins. Think about it. These kids don't see coins. They might see some in mom's cup holder for tolls or something, but when would they be introduced to coins? And so... They have, we found strategic ways to allow them to dive into understanding what coins, which ones are worth what, and listening to songs where they can memorize and sing these songs where they're learning about. But like, it's fascinating to watch them bring in bags of money and, and sort through them themselves and teach and dive into that concept together as a studio instead of sitting down and all of them being quiet and doing a worksheet. One other example of them, um, not depending on adults, socially, this, this is happening a lot where someone will come to a guide and complain because so-and-so did something and they said something that sounded mean or they did something and they're not being nice. And they're and the first thing Michael says that, you know, a guide will say is, have you talked to this person? Do they know how you feel? Have you had a conversation with this person about this issue? That's the first thing. And it directs them back to solving the problem themselves with the person that they have a problem with. This sounds so elementary, but let me tell you something. Michael and I pay a decent amount of money to a relationship coach that we will be on calls together, sitting right beside each other on the bed, on the phone call. And I'll say something, you know, and this, it's both ways. It's not just me, it's him too. Like, I just feel like in that, you know, in that situation, Caitlin was trying to make me feel like, you know, I'm not good enough in this department or whatever. Or, or I'll say, you know, Michael said that, and I just, I know what he's trying to make me realize is that, like, he doesn't approve of that. And our coach will literally say, have you asked him if that's what he was trying to get across? Have you asked him if that's how he feels? And I'm like, well, no. And she'll say, would you like to? And I'm like, Michael, what did you mean by that? <laughs> did you, Were you really trying to make me feel like X, Y, and Z? Like that's what I took away from that. But is that was that your intention? It's fascinating. Why do we have to get as adults? Why do I have to get on a phone call to have someone invite me to go to the person I'm having a struggle with and have a conversation about how I'm feeling? Because it is not in our DNA, right? We want to go. We're we're mad at someone. We just want to go complain about it to somebody. We don't want to go and confront the person and say, "Did you mean to make me feel this way?" Because that's what happened. This was really hard for me to hear. Teaching a five to seven-year-olds to go directly to the person that offended them and have a conversation about it before bringing anyone else in, bringing an adult in to fix the problem is powerful. And we noticed, we were um, visiting friends recently and the kids were running around, it was like at a brewery, and we saw a young kid, probably a three-year-old, get mad because one of the older kids that was there pushed over their pile of rocks. And I watched Evie go over there and I heard her, Michael and I were like, oh my gosh, listen to her. She went over there and she said, did you tell him how you feel? I mean, Evie is five, but every day in the studio, 
she, if she has a problem with someone, she's being told by an adult, have you talked to this person about the problem that you have with this person? Or whatever went on between the two of you, have you gone to them about it? And this little girl looked at her like, what are you saying? It's not a normal concept, but I love that that is what they're practicing at five years old. Imagine if you are, if you learn how to handle confrontation and how to invite yourself in to really hard interactions with someone early on as a child, that is empowering. That is, that is what creates leaders. That's what creates people who can help groups of people actually get stuff done. That is a powerful life lesson that in a lot of traditional settings, there's not a lot of space to learn that. There's not a lot of time to be able to develop that. There's not a small enough environment to practice that. And so I'm not saying that doesn't happen in any traditional setting. A lot of these things happen in traditional settings, but everything that I mentioned is happening every single day at Acton Academy and we are thrilled. This is exactly what we longed for, for our child and for other children. We want them to grow up spending their hours away from home, developing academically, yes, but character-wise at the same level. Acton Academy puts the same emphasis on academics that they do on character development. The same emphasis on understanding how to read and how to write and how to use correct grammar and also how to be self-disciplined and how to show up and follow through with things you committed to. So yes, two months after starting Acton, we love seeing things like the kids don't need a playground, right? We had $5,000 budgeted to get them a really epic playground. They don't need it. Um, Why? Because we will go to Lowe's and look at grandparents' sheds and find pieces of old raw building materials, and you would think that we had bought them a rocket ship. I mean, they love building and exploring and coming up with ideas together. They don't need a playground. That's a really fun discovery that we've found in the last two months of, of owning an Acton. Um, we love seeing them. We had cha- tables and chairs delivered. We had massive boxes of um, cardboard and they made amazing, like like nine foot rocket ships out of them. That's so cool. Those type of hands-on learning experiences are awesome. But what we love is seeing them develop into responsible, respectful, self-directed human beings. Are there a lot of flaws? Oh my gosh, yes. Five to seven-year-olds. Are there a lot of days where you feel like, did anything hit home? Did anything land? Like, did we land the plane today? Sure. But overall, we're seeing the sparks and the light bulbs, and we're seeing the ideas connect for these young people. And I am so excited to see where this leads. I would love to do another episode like this at the end of the year where I can share what we have learned the first full year. This is only two months in to our journey with Acton. And I just know moving forward, we're going to be blown away with what is to come. So what is coming up for Acton um, in the next few weeks? We have our first children's business fair, which is very exciting. It's where they get to have a shot at being entrepreneurs. They are going to create or brainstorm a service or a product that they get to sell and present to their parents um, and to community members, family members. And it may not look exactly like everyone has their own business, the first, like right out the gate. Uh, It may look a little bit different. We're not sure, but that's very exciting. It's the heartbeat of what Acton stands for. We have breaks built into the year so that a lot of our families have um, entrepreneurial backgrounds. And so it allows these families to have um, some time with their kids much like you would the freedom of uh, homeschooling. And uh, and so we have some breaks coming up, and we also have some very exciting new developments coming into the studio, into the outdoor space. So we have a lot happening. And yes, as a mom who is 26 weeks pregnant, and as a mom to a kindergartner for the first time, and preschooler, and a one-year-old with a big business to run, Yes, we have had moments of feeling very overwhelmed with starting a school, but more so than that feeling of overwhelm because of negative, like, oh my gosh, we can't do this. We've had more experiences of, I I can't believe we get to do this. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that little dream we had in 2020 
is has come to fruition. And every day we are taking our children and dropping them off at this very cute one-room schoolhouse where they're learning about themselves, they're learning about how to live a self-directed life, learning how to be kind human beings, and learning how to read, and learning how to be children and to learn through play, but also to be held to a certain level of accountability that's pushing them to grow in ways we've never experienced before. So we love it. We love the parents. Oh my gosh, that's a whole other episode just talking about the parents and the community that has come from being united with parents who have like-minded dreams for their children. That's been this unexpected blessing in the journey of starting a school. So we maybe we'll do a whole other episode for that. But these are the things that we have learned two months in to owning and operating an Acton Academy. And I hope this was helpful. If you are a parent that was sent this podcast from by somebody that knows that you desire something different for your children, uh, let me just say this. You're not alone. I can't tell you how many people have said, this is what I desired for my children and I didn't know it even existed. There's a book called Courage to Grow written by the founder of Acton Academy. Um, and I'd love to invite you to dive into that if you want to learn more about Acton and discover if it's what you dream of for your children. So uh, I'll make sure in the notes that we have a link to that book. It's a great place to start. It's where we recommend every single potential family for our Acton. They have to read this book before we ever do an in-person meeting. And so um, more information about applications, what it looks like in the future. We are offering more ages in the future so that we can have different age studios and different heroes can move up when they are ready. So that's a question we get all the time. How are you going to deal with different age studios in the future? The fascinating thing about Acton is that it is not based on age. It's based on growth. So you might have a six-year-old that taught themselves how to read year one, and they're ready to be in a discovery studio. You might have a seven-year-old that loves, has a very engineering mind um, and loves building and is learning more through more of a spark studio concept. And they're not quite ready for a discovery studio. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with them. That's the freedom of acting. And so we're excited because based on what our applications look like for the 2023 to 2024 school year, that is going to decide what our studio makeup looks like. So if you have other questions about enrollment, applications, what it looks like to become a part of our community, or we have so many DMs about how to start your own Acton Academy. Um, I'll make sure there's a resource link below for that as well in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you next time.